Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. We're going to be in John chapter 10, if you want to turn there, John chapter 10. While you're turning, it's just a delight to be here. I'm so, so grateful. Uh, As Lane said, I I have looked up to and appreciated Lane for so long. And through Lane, just being able to watch your church for, yeah, like he said, 12 years. When I was at SBU, uh, Ozark, or I'm sorry, LifePoint was a church that everyone loved, but it was too far away for anyone to drive to. So um, I've always loved this church and just, it's a joy. I've now served at Midwestern 10 years. Um, So to... To be able to serve this church through what we do at Midwestern is a, jo- is a joy. We exist for the church and we exist for churches just like this one. So it's a joy to be here. Um, if any of you all know Frank and Wanda, growing up with them, this is not gonna be a surprise to you. Uh, anytime I would go to my grandparents' house, I was a little bit intimidated by Frank and a lot of bit comforted by Wanda. So um, that's just like my life growing up. Uh, So let's jump into John chapter 10. I'm just gonna read five verses here. John chapter 10, starting in verse seven. Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I listened to a sermon the other day by a pastor named Ray Ortland, and Ray Ortland said, he asked, in a world full of good people, where are the sinners? In a world full of good people, where are the sinners? And as I was preparing for this sermon, I thought, in a world full of leaders and shepherds, where are all the sheep? If you're familiar with common parlance, especially on social media today, to be a sheep is not a good thing. To be a sheep is to be a follower and to believe everything you hear. Uh, I wanted to get into the mind of these people who call others sheep. So I got into a chat room, which I kind of regretted afterwards, but I came across a veterinarian named Dr. P. I promise you, I am not Dr. P. Uh, here's what the veterinarian, Dr. P says. He says, to be called a sheep implies you are a follower. You don't check to see if facts are accurate or sources are reliable before jumping to conclusions. As a veterinarian that raises sheep, I can tell you it isn't a compliment. Sheep are a herd or flock animal. If one sheep bolts for no reason, the majority, if not the entire flock, is is likely to do the same thing. They are dumb, really, really dumb. They know how to eat, drink, and reproduce. And that's about it. He says, I've never been called a sheep to the best of my knowledge, but I would be highly offended to be called one. And I would instantly research the data or information or logic that was behind calling me one. I'm typically a leader, and not a follower. I would bet if you were called a sheep, if someone said, you're just a sheep, you would be highly offended. But in a world full of shepherds, 
I think the church should be the place where we're, we're willing to say we're the sheep. We are really, really dumb. We just believe our sources. We go along with them. And in the middle of a world full of sheep, Jesus comes in and he gives us John chapter 10. And this sermon series that, that you're in the midst of is he came. And I think the reason Jesus came is couched right here. He came to be our protector. He came to be our prosperity and he came to be our pastor. We're gonna look at these in order, but I wanna show you each of them. So we start in verse seven, Jesus said again to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. These first two points will be focused on Jesus being the door. He says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. What's he saying here? Who are these thieves and robbers that came before Jesus? We don't have to look too far. In the Old Testament, it's full of them. It's full of thieves and it's full of robbers who came before Jesus, who were terrible, wicked leaders. You just look at any of the prophets and they're constantly talking about these wicked judges, the wicked prophets, the wicked priests, the wicked kings, the wicked elders who lead the people into idolatry. I'll just pull out one example from Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56 talks about these wicked leaders in this way. It says, God's watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are silent dogs. Imagine having a, some kind of a, a protective watchdog, an, an Australian shepherd, and this is how they act. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark. They're dreaming, lying down, loving to sleep. Imagine getting a watchdog and it never barks. It never does anything. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough, but they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let me get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink and tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. This is the character of the wicked servants, the wicked priests and kings and leaders who were supposed to be leading the people of the Old Testament. And constantly the prophets are prophesying against them saying, you're just a voiceless, barkless dog. You never do anything. You're not protecting the people. And here Jesus says, I am the door. You come in and you will be saved. Look at how he talks. He says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The truth is, friends, if you are a sheep and we are sheep, if you are a sheep and you are wandering out there on your own, you are in great, even grave danger. That's the message of the Old Testament. There is danger apart from the Lord. If you wander away from the Lord, you are in great and grave danger. So if you don't know Jesus in the room this morning, if you're kind of trying to figure this whole thing out, we're not talking about small potatoes issues. We're not talking about take it or leave it. We're talking about life and death. This is how Jesus talks. He says, if you are wandering out there and you don't come in the door, if you don't come through Jesus, you're on your own. And there are thieves and robbers who only want to take from you and lie to you and kill you. 
They're called wolves. If you are wandering out there as someone who doesn't know Jesus, let me just say, come in the door. I'm so happy you came through those doors. Come in through Jesus, the door, and you will be saved. You might not know you need a protector, but you need one. Every person in this room needs a protector. And Jesus says, I'm the door. I'll protect you. You come through me, you are saved. You don't have to worry anymore. You're saved. And oftentimes we think of doors as negative things, right? We think of them as exclusionary. We think of them as something that keeps us from them. And if you're a skeptic in the room and you don't know Jesus, you think, yeah, that's why I don't like the church. I made the mistake yesterday of taking my kids to Silver Dollar City and there's all kinds of gates and there are gates that keep people in the line snaking through and then there's the gate to get through to get on fire in the hole, right? Everyone wants to get on fire in the hole. And so we think of these gates, we think of Jesus as the door as a negative thing. Yeah, you're just keeping people out. But imagine actually that there are wolves roaming around and he says, all you people in the line, get in here and we have enough fire in the hole rides for everyone to get on right now. That's the joy of Christianity. The gate protects you from those wolves. It protects you from the people walking the lines trying to sell you stuff maybe. It protects you so that you can get in and have the joy of fire in the hole. He is a gate, yes. And if you don't come through him, you're on your own. But come through the gate and it is great. There's no line. There's no waiting. Come in the gate. Come in the gate. And who are the wolves? Who are the thieves and robbers that Jesus talks about? In the Old Testament, there are all kinds of people that lead the sheep into idolatry. Why is it that we have so many prophecies against these thieves and robbers? Why is it that they are constantly, constantly railing on them? It's because they are leading them into terrible, terrible practices. When we think of idolatry, we think of little wooden carved idols or maybe metal images, things that people in India bow down to. But in reality, all throughout the scriptures, an idol is anything, anything that grabs your heart above and over the Lord. An idol is anything that controls your heart that is not God and it will rule you. Whatever controls your heart will rule you. Note that. Whatever controls your heart will steer your behavior. It will steer your decisions. It will steer your thoughts. It will steer, steer your, your words. Whatever controls your heart controls everything else about you. And so an idol is something that roots in there and controls your heart, and it's not God. And usually when we think about idols, we think about four main ones. We think about comfort, control, pleasure, and praise. Comfort, control, pleasure, and praise. What is comfort? Comfort is the absence of pain. I'll give you this question. If you wanna know like, what is the idol of your life? If, you, if you're having trouble placing, like which of these do I really run to? Ask yourself this question. What do I find myself thinking about when I have nothing else to think about? What do I find myself thinking about when I have nothing else to think about? It may be comfort. How can I just go home and chill? I just want to chill. I don't wanna do anything. I want the absence of pain. Perhaps it's pleasure. It's not the absence of pain, but it's the presence of happiness. 
How can I get as many fast passes in life as possible to get on as many rides as possible? How can I just have the best, most fun life possible? Is that where your mind jumps to when you have nothing else to think about? Perhaps it's control, which is the protection of choice. Control is trying to make sure I always have the choice. I'm always the one in charge. I get to determine my own path. No one else is gonna control it for me. I'm not gonna be boxed into a corner. So I'm gonna, every time I have a free moment, I'm gonna think about how I can protect myself so that I'm always able to kind of steer my own ship. And then praise. Some of us, when we have nothing else to think about, we jump straight to how can I protect my name? How can I gain more reputation for myself? It's a zero sum game and I'm gonna get more of it. And perhaps it's not just protection of your name, but it's destruction of others. So if you wanna know if you, uh, if you revel in praise, what do you do when other, whenever other people get praise? These are the common idols of our heart. And I would encourage you to watch out for these idols. These are the idols that will thieve from you. They will steal from you. They will rob from you and they will eventually kill you if you give them enough air. If you let these idols sink into your heart and rule you, they will rule you. And what Jesus says is they will kill you, they will take from you and you will not be saved from them. We think that the kind of idolatry Jesus is talking about is just the Old Testament idolatry where people went to the hillsides and sacrificed to idols and they even made human sacrifices to idols. We think we would never do that. Oh my goodness, all the sacrifices we make to our own idols. We sacrifice our children, maybe not physically, but we shove them off to the video game so that we can just have a night of peace. We make all kinds of sacrifices for the praise of our name. We will trample our coworkers so that our name gets praised rather than someone else. Jesus says, when you come in the fold, there is no more place for those idols. Those idols will thieve from you. They will kill from you. There's no place for them here. When you come in the door of the church, we get rid of idols. No more idols. They don't rule our lives anymore. But that's a good thing. Jesus is saying, I wanna protect you by getting those idols away from you. For those thieves, those robbers, they don't, they don't have a place in here. So Jesus protects us. And he tells us, if our eye causes us to sin, to tear it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell. Whatever it is that is ruling your heart that is not Jesus will kill you. So tear it out. Come in the fold. Let him protect you from yourself even. Let him protect you from those idols. An idol is anything that promises life to you and actually gives you death. That's the warning. So I'm here to say, come in the door, come in. Jesus says, I am the door, verse nine. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in. So come in and enjoy the protection that he gives you from idolatry and false worship, from those who would lie to you and, help and make you think that comfort, control, pl uh, pleasure and praise are where life is at. That's not where life is. Be protected from those idols. And I would just encourage you all throughout the scriptures, there's a common refrain that we get of what glorifies God. 
I would imagine that if you've grown up in church or if you're familiar with the church, you might have a common understanding of what kind of life glorifies God. So if I were to ask you, hey, what, what kind of life glorifies God? You might say, the evidence of such is um, maybe I have a common, consistent devotional time. Or maybe I'm really consistent in evangelism and I've seen some people come to know Jesus because of my, my in, uh, influence in their lives. Maybe I disciple people regularly or make all kinds of sacrifices for the church. Don't get me wrong, those are great things. But when you look in the scriptures, what is it that glorifies God? Let me show you. Micah chapter five says that he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord. And how is that majesty shown? They, the people shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he, he shall be their peace. What kind of a life magnifies the Lord? The life of someone who is secure. The life of someone who's at peace. Not a hamster wheel, not trying to get more, not trying to protect their name. Someone who is secure. If you wanna magnify the Lord, if you wanna have a life that reflects that you have a protector, stop protecting yourself and rest in the security that he has given you. Come in the pen and just rest. You don't have to create rest for yourself. You don't have to protect your reputation. Just rest. I would just encourage you, ask the people around you, am I secure or am I insecure? Where am I insecure? Where do you feel like I'm an insecure person? There's an area where you can magnify the Lord and start to be a restful, secure, peaceful person in that area. Rest in the security of our protector. He came to be our protector. He is the door. He came to be our prosperity, number two. He came to be our prosperity. I had never noticed this until preparing for this sermon, but he says, I am the door, verse nine. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out. He will go in and out and find pasture. I had always perceived the door as being something that you just come in. But Jesus says, once you're in the sheepfold, I'm gonna send you back out as well. You're gonna go out of the sheepfold and you're gonna find pasture. You, it's not, the church is not just a place that we come into and we sit and we stay here. No, the ch church is also a place where we get sent back out and we actually find pasture. We actually find green pasture for us to lie down in, Psalm 23 tells us. This kind of a shepherd and this kind of a door is not just a place where we come in, but we go out on mission too. And we find prosperity and we find joy. Even in this life, the desires of our heart are even fulfilled in this life and in the life to come. We come in and we go out. And then he doubles down on this theme. It says in verse nine, You'll come in and out and find pasture. And then he says, verse 10, this classic verse, this verse we know, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. When we hear that, we in our feeble little minds, we hear 
okay, I'm at, the guacam- or I'm at the Chipotle line getting guacamole and the world gives me the normal guacamole scoop where they scoop it out, they put it in and then they kind of scrape it out to where half of it is missing. Half of the container is no guacamole. And we hear Jesus say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you life and life abundantly, which means he's gonna fill it to the top, right? That's not what he's saying. The word here for abundantly is actually excessive. I'm gonna give you life and life excessive. Unnecessary is even a good translation for this word. I'm gonna give you so much life, it is unnecessary how much I give you. He's not giving you the little container of guacamole. He's taking the thing out of the whole tray, out of the whole serving line, and he's just gonna give you the whole container. Here, take it all, take it all. You can have as much as you want. You eat all that, there's more back here. We're, we're doing the big bowl. We've got all the guacamole in the world. You don't have to worry about if someone takes a chip and says, hey, can I have a bite? Cause that was one eighth of all the guacamole. No, you don't have to worry about it anymore. You have so much guacamole, you can't eat it all. It's like going to the ocean and someone saying, drink it all, just drink all of it. I want you to try and drink all of the ocean. You can't do it. There's too much for you. There's too much life here for you. It's excessive. It's overflowing. It's too much for you. That's the kind of life he has awaiting for you. So if you're a non-Christian in the room and you think, man, I know that if I become a Christian, I'm gonna have to make sacrifices. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. I know that. So I know if I become a Christian, I have to give up everything. And you know what? That's right, you do. You have to give up everything. But what you don't know is that Jesus is the only one who promises you death and actually gives you life. And he gives you way more life than you could ever fathom. You ask any 20 year veteran in the room, any 40 year veteran in the room who's been walking with Jesus for a long time and they'll sing the same song. Yeah, you're gonna die, son. You're gonna die but you will get far more than you ever gave up. Jesus returns a thousandfold everything we could possibly give him. An idol is something that promises you life and gives you death. Jesus promises you death and gives you life. I have come, he says, to give you life and life abundantly. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. You try and hold on to your life, you try and go chase after your idols, you're gonna lose your life. Let me be the barking dog to warn you, you will die and you will be judged. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Jesus tells us if you Lose your life for his sake. You will find it abundantly, excessively, far more than you can ever imagine. That's the good news. But Satan hates that. Satan does not want you to believe that. He wants you to believe that God is holding out on you. This is his original, fundamental, and only lie. This is all he's got, is trying to get it in your mind that God is holding out on you. That's what he did in the garden. He told them, you will not die. God knows if you eat of it, you're gonna become like him, knowing good and evil. Satan, from the beginning, has been trying to get into our pea brain minds, God's holding out on you. 
And God is here saying to us, no, I'm not. I'm actually trying to give you far more than you even want. Abundant life, overflowing, excessive life. That's what he promises to you. Will you take him up on it? And I think that this is true even for heaven. So often when we think of heaven, we think of, okay, I gave up everything here and I'm kind of gonna get a little bit in return. I know it's gonna be great. I know I'm not gonna sin anymore. I know there's not gonna be any more suffering, but all the things I really want won't be there. I think that's a terrible way of seeing heaven. I think heaven is a place where God is the ultimate longing of our desires here and we get all of him there, which means every desire for every earthly thing here is actually fulfilled in heaven. Every earthly good desire you want here is actually fulfilled in heaven. That's what I think. And I think heaven is the new heavens and the new earth that have become one. So when we're experiencing God, we're experiencing the earth, the new earth. And when we're experiencing the new earth, we're experiencing God. What does that mean? I think heaven is a place where we will never stop discovering. We will never stop having our minds blown. We will never stop overflowing with emotional joy and even giddiness at what we're experiencing. The same way you experience beauty in the world now, it will be amplified and overflowing there. It's gonna be a world that absolutely wrecks us in the most amazing way possible. You think of heaven as little. He's saying, no, I, I don't think you really understand just how crazy this is gonna be. And guess what? It's never gonna stop. The terrible thing about this earth is that you go to the Grand Canyon and you, eventually you have to leave. Eventually it kind of is like, okay, we've seen it. In heaven, that never ends. It's just continuing to amp up. And it's because he's an infinite God that we cannot contain. And we will not become infinite. So we will continue to develop and grow and have our minds blown, but there's more to, more to be seen. There's more guacamole. He will continue to blow your mind in this life and the next. That's the promise he gives us of abundant, overflowing life. He's not stingy. He's not holding out on you. He wants the best for you, the absolute best. He came to be our protector. He came to be our prosperity. But notice where this goes in verse 11. He came to be our pastor. If you don't know what pastor means, it's just the Latin word for shepherd. He came to be our shepherd. He came to be our pastor. And I wanna take you back to a passage from the Old Testament, Ezekiel 34. And I wanna read a lot of it because I think it's what Jesus is saying. So Ezekiel 34, I'm gonna start in verse one and skip around just a bit. Here's what God says to Ezekiel. This is the Lord God speaking about the shepherds of the Old Testament. The word of the Lord came to me. This is from God. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You're slaughtering the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. 
The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Then skip down to verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek, my, seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall be on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. When God was talking back then, he was talking about me because I am him. Jesus came to be our pastor. All of those who have robbed from you, all of those who have destroyed your soul, all of those whose lies you have bought into, he says, get out of the way and let me lead them. He says, I'm done with them. I'm gonna destroy those lies and those idols and I will feed my sheep. And all of the false leaders in this world he has said, get out of the way, I'm gonna do it. It's my turn now. Jesus is your pastor. Jesus has always been the pastor. Every church that's ever existed has and should have pastors, but they're not the pastor. Jesus is the pastor. Jesus is the lead pastor of every church. And this is why it's so foolish when people leave the church because they don't like the pastor. He's not the pastor, Jesus is the, is the pastor. He's the one that you were supposed to be following all along. Whenever there are destructive leaders, that's not the one we're supposed to be following. That should not destroy the substructure of the church because the church was trusting in the pastor, not that pastor. He is the shepherd of the sheep and he is a good shepherd. He distinguishes himself from all of these human people who have tried to play the part and can't. He is the Lord God who came to do what none, other, none others could do. And when they would feed on the sheep, he said, no, they will feed on me. Why is he the good shepherd? Verse 11, because the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. All the other shepherds have actually killed the sheep to feast on their fat, to protect themselves with their wool. Guess what this shepherd does? He lays his life down for their good. He says, come follow my sacrifice. He says, look at my sacrifice. It is actually 
the, the death of this lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You don't have to rectify your own sin problem. He did it. You don't have to rectify all the wrongs that have been done to you. He absorbs all the wrongs and will be your protector through the cross and the resurrection that he bought. Jesus is the true and final sacrifice. There's no more sacrifice of any sheep because he was the final lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. The book of Hebrews, Hebrews will say once and for all, Formerly in the Old Testament, there was sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice because there were so many things being done wrong and none of those sacrifices took care of the problem. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd because I sacrificed for the sheep. I'm gonna take care of the problem. He took care of your problem because he went to the cross. Jesus came as our protector. Jesus came as our prosperity and he came as our pastor and he lays down his life for you. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us as Christ's church? First, I would say, be a sheep. Don't try and be your own savior. Don't try and do what Jesus has already done. Be a sheep. What does that mean? Come into the fold. Come and rest and dwell in the security and peace that he has purchased for you. You don't have to create your own peace on this world, in this world because he's already got it for you. Rest in the security of personhood and community that he has bought for you in the sheepfold. Be a sheep. Number two, enjoy the abundance that he has got for you. We think of the abundance of Jesus as something that he has got for us, but we can't really take part in it. That's not, that's not for us yet. The book of Ecclesiastes says, enjoy it now. Enjoy the abundance of life that he has got for you right now, knowing that it is just a foretaste of what you will experience in heaven. The life that you are meant to live here and now is not a depressed life. It's not a, a, um, a guilty life. It's not a shameful life. It's not an insecure life. It's meant to be a life overflowing with joy in the security and peace of the Lord, knowing it's not all resting on our shoulders. And then number three, follow the good shepherd and his sacrifice. Throughout the whole New Testament, what do we do when we see this sacrifice? We thank God for it, that he sacrificed for us, but then it compels us to follow in his, in his ways. Look at the way Paul talks in 2 Corinthians. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Friends, we follow the good shepherd to the cross. We love our neighbors. We forgive our enemies. We pray for our persecutors. We give of our time. We donate stuff. We share the gospel. Participate in this great sacrifice knowing that you don't have to protect your own stuff in this world and knowing that your prosperity is in him and not here and now. Rest in his security, enjoy his abundance and follow him to the cross.